0: And welcome to From the Rooftops, a podcast about superheroes. That's Clay, and that's Talon. You were ready for a joke, weren't you? Yeah, I really was. Like, I, I. You know, the
1: worst part is the worst part is I remembered one this morning, and I was going to use it, and I choked. <laughs> <laughs> I totally be... had it.
0: Uh, dear. The, the, I have time, it now. Next time, let it. me know, and I'll like prompt you so it can be the uh, the the joke choke poke. And that's not a joke. That's just me playing with words. This is what white people do instead of rap.
1: You're just going, man. (laughs) I'm just letting you run with all of that shit. (laughs) Yes, that's Clay, and hey, that's Hawkeye.
0: (laughs) Fuck it. (laughs) And I'm the Richie Rich Avenger, Talon Lee. (laughs) So this week we'd like to talk about the military. And The Police, otherwise known in our shorthand as The Authority.
1: Not that book, but The Authority.
0: <laughs> not not, yeah, not The Authority. The Authority is a different thing. The Authority is a different kind of fascism.
1: The Authorities. Yeah. The people they call when your party's too loud.
0: Yeah. Or uh, you're chucking cars at people. Yeah. Now, part of this is going to be colored by the fact that, um, through the magic of the edit, I just recently finished uh daredevil season two so i have i have thoughts on this kind of stuff but uh fortunately clay is in a better position than i am to have a broader view of this stuff
1: you know it's interesting because like yes and no because i'm not super into a lot of the uh military and spy stuff in marvel and that's in fact that's why i'm kind of to the side of a lot of the wider wider marvel universe in the world because you know their big names are captain america iron man uh Nick Fury is very important in their universe. They have a lot of people who are intrinsically military. Yeah. that are important in their universe.
0: Uh in the, so, the very nature, especially especially as comics have moved to be towards the MCU, the very nature of Shield is that Shield is meant to be a wing of the US military specifically.
1: As opposed to previously it was a UN organization way back yeah. in the day, but back yeah, when, like
0: back before uh, Nick Fury looked like Samuel L. Jackson back when he looked like David Hasselhoff.
1: Yeah, and a lot of this is my own weird personal stuff because I grew up in a family that had a lot of military file, you know, ties. Uh, both of my namesakes grew up in the military, were, were military. Uh, one of them was legendarily awful. Uh, the other one mm, died. Uh, and my other two uncles were military, all of my uncles were in military.
0: Yeah. And I mean it, uh, so it's just, for I guess an extra, well. <laughs> for an extra dash of context, I my father and uncle were both drafted into the military and my grandfather tried to join the military and was bounced for some truly comical reasons. So I I have a, a, a similar connection to the military, but in my case it tends to be much more about how the military is really obtuse and silly.
1: Yeah, mine's just more that it seems to take people and spit them out crazy, so... <laughs>
0: yeah, which uh, we, we wind up back at the the problem of uh, characters like Moon Knight. Uh, comics tend to have a very, um, let's call it rudimentary, grasp on mental health. And that leads to some uh, problems with how they yeah, represent or, things.
1: I guess more, more what I'm speaking to is just like my disinclination from military stories comes from my exposure to military people being like 60% negative. So yeah. it's like mm.
0: Yeah. There's there's not a lot of romance there for us and there's uh, a, and, and comic books need a certain dash of the romantic. And I don't mean like, you know, characters smooching. I mean like the idea that this story is about feelings rather than about realism. And mm-hmm. uh, It's kind of hard when you've been that close. Nonetheless, Uh, We are actually in a a kind of a boom period for uh, mainstream culture's intersection with superheroes and the military and the police because we have the Daredevil TV series has kind of set a standard. Uh, Luke Cage opened up a whole bunch of related questions. Um, The Avengers and Civil War and all those Captain America movies are all military connected. And we have the deeply troubling... Uh, DC Universe's relationship to both the military and Wonder Woman, which is actually not part of this deeply troubling thing, and I, I introduced that badly, but also uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman has a. There is, there is stuff that needs unpacking there. Right.
1: And Suicide Squad. Like, oh, yeah. Every third episode of Arrow has some Argus involvement and Waller involvement. Like, yeah. there's a lot of it there, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And part of that is because. We live in a world where the military is something that people can grasp as a sort of reference reference frame, especially people who've never interacted with it, because they just have an idea of what the military is, much in the same way that they have an idea of what the police is. Um, You you can point to studies that talk about um, young adults in America relating to various superheroes, and one, and I, I will trot this statistic out every time, the most popular superhero amongst white suburban men in their late teens is Batman and the most popular superhero amongst black urban teens is uh, Superman and one of the points that there was made is Batman ultimately works for the cops mm. and they know the cops are corrupt both in Batman's universe and in real life right
1: and i mean the involvement of the military and law enforcement and you know Discuss why those are so uniquely tied in our society. It's its own problem, but that's just an inevitability. You got people running around engaging in acts of violence. Yeah, law enforcement wouldn't get involved in some level. And if they're building massive power, yeah, the military is going to, and the government's going to get involved in whatever degree. It, it would be weird to not address that in your story on some level. Like, yeah. it's, it's just, it's always about the how, with everything with superheroes. It's not about the what, it's about the how and the why, and the who, mm-hmm. you know?
0: And scope winds up being a big part of it as well. Uh, when it's a couple of characters having a superpowered knife fight in a cupboard, uh, it winds up being, you, you can make an excuse for why that's not a thing, why people missed it. Especially in, like, Daredevil. Daredevil's a great example, because Daredevil has um, uh, uh like, it has crime that is so dense in an area that the police just can't actually uh, get involved with all of it. They can't solve all of it. It just doesn't work. But in um, when you have characters like Tony Stark, and Tony Stark is interfacing, like the very first time you see Tony Stark flying, it's almost always uh, he he does something that gets the attention of the military. Like he does a flyby on some fighter jets. Like that's a thing that they traditionally did. Mm.
1: And it's interesting. I'm going to make a weird connection here, <sighs> but if you. For those of you who've ever played the game, uh, Def Jam, Vendetta, Fight for New York.
0: Okay, yeah, so I, I'm holding on. What?
1: <laughs> okay, there's a moment, it, this is a sequel, so it begins at the end of the last game, where the big, like, kingpin mob boss is being arrested, and somebody, you, the player character, crash into the car, taking them away, and you take him back to this hideout. And they're like, I want to be in the gang! And he says, okay, we're going to do all this crime, but we cannot use guns. This is the justification for it being a fighting game, of course. But the thing he says is that'll bring down police tension. If we're just beating the shit out of each other in basements, it's fine. So we do this fight club shit and that's how we gain power. And so that's the justification for not getting busted. By the same token, you know, Daredevil has all these big, extensive fist fights. And so that's why we don't directly interact with the cops as Daredevil much because ain't nobody getting shot, you know?
0: Yeah um and 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 indeed uh they make a point of this in arrow where um just just as a point of as i understand hospital policy in the united states if someone comes in with a gunshot it's um standard procedure to inform the police in oh, yeah. arrow they note that uh eventually getting shot with an arrow winds up getting the same rules in um star city
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah every gsw there's cops just to and a lot of times they're in the room sitting to the side you know in a bunny suit and a mask and what have you just to be there depending on the context but there's always cops and yeah. to gets shot um but yeah we talk and um there's weird conversations and i found myself occasionally coming down like on the sides of characters i would normally come against like when people talk about you know They do it in the fiction a lot because that's a problem for them to deal with. But people outside, in real world, will do this too. Will just say, basically, you know, who is this untrained or uh, unemployed, you know, unappointed figure to come in and, you know, beat up dudes when the law enforcement is there and they're trained and, you know, they answer to us, more or less, supposedly. And... I feel like on some levels, or they'll say it's irresponsible of the hero, and a lot of times writing will do that. One of the easiest things to do is have the hero in his early stages, like beat up some small time criminal, and the cops go up and they're like, This was a sting operation, we've been following this guy for, you know, weeks, and you fucked it all up, mass guy. It's like, yeah, but on the same level, there are like classical, like almost cliche writing tropes. Associated with superheroes that refute that point, like yeah. by their nature, and people will naturally ignore them. One of them is like a, the establishing moment that establishes the necessity of the hero. It's always really simple, right? Uh, are, the horrible fart monster is coming to Metropolis, and the cops get out and they shoot their their guns, pew pew, and it passes through the monster. Okay, now from a writing standpoint, we have established that the cops are incapable of solving this problem.
0: Yeah, like, this is a problem outside of their boundaries of power, but the problem is that uh, in even in universe, there is not a good accommodation for the discrepancy between their power and their authority.
1: Right, and so then you have Superman come in to blow it away, and so that's why. It's the same thing as if, in real life, uh, you know, two cops are arresting some violent murderer, and... Hell, yeah, this is a classic element of the Spider-Man story. All you have to do is stick your fit out and trip the guy, and you stop the crime. And you get a little medal in the key to the city or whatever, and they say thank you. Or they, you know, scowl at you, but whatever. You still did the right thing. Yeah. In that same context, like I said before, uh, it's the least you can do as a superhero. So, writing, you always show the car chase with them leaving the the cops in the dust to establish the necessity to disperse that question of well who was the hero to do this well he's the only one who can in that scenario right there
0: um this also gets complicated slightly by um i think i think luke cage is the one that's most recently been stirring up this whole point which is superheroes are often more connected to their community than uh than the police in that area are which is what, like, uh, Batman stories almost all come from the genesis point of the police are corrupt. The same thing's true of Daredevil stories. Like, anytime you get a character who is on a level where the police could solve the problem, the issue becomes the police won't so- solve the problem.
1: There was a good uh, thing that used to be said a lot in Nightwing books, where he would say, here's the difference between Gotham and Bloodhaven. In Bloodhaven, in Gotham, the corruption comes up from the bottom, right? The, the, the crime comes up from the bottom in Bloodhaven it comes down from the top so this is part of the reason why he himself becomes a cop to cross you know interact directly with corrupt cops and get that angle of things while also working on the side as Nightwing to come so he's coming from the top and the bottom simultaneously and there's a similar thing about
0: Nightwing's a cop he was an
1: undercover cop sir he was pretending to be a cop to serve the (laughs) interests of justice Do do not slander Dick Grayson sir (laughs)
0: but yeah um the 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 funny thing is in in context like one of the one of the big fundamental questions of the superhero narrative is who are you to have this power like the superhero narrative flows out of a place of fantasy of i wish someone had the power to make this kind of choice or, or take care of this kind of problem that's kind of superman's thing like it's almost superman's job to be the person who has the moral authority because he's just that good of a person and his power backs up his moral authority. It's we have stories about people who are as morally good as, super, as Superman, but they don't have that level of power, so it's much more agonizing than it is, you know, empowering. But the question that always follows and that's why there are so many Superman stories about this from very tiresome, boring people. About, well, who are you to wield that power? How we how do we know that it doesn't make you you corrupt? Now, in superhero stories, the superhero doesn't become corrupt because that's not what the story's about. But when you're interfacing with the police, who have power, and constantly going, yeah, but the police are corrupt, you are sort of leaving a very large space around that question of, like, well, why why are police massively corruptible and superheroes not? There's like,
1: almost a disturbing implication of that, these sort of... Uh... This sort of, well, they can't be bought because they mm. already have power, you know? And yeah. we've seen where that logic of, comes from, you know, where certain people, they're like, oh, I like this particular politician asshole because he says what he wants and he has money so he can't be bought. Yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of what you said, like, the characters aren't as connected to their community. Batman's not as connected to his community, and that's why he directly interfaces with the cops a lot.
0: Yeah, and, because, and of course, Batman, I mean, <sighs> Batman. Batman's distance from his community is a big problem in, in his whole space. It's one of the reasons why sidekicks are so important to him, because they're the ones who actually have to live in the world that Batman is shaping. Well, that's why Jason Todd... For, for all that there's a lot of problems with Jason Todd, Jason Todd is one of the few Robins who've been able to say to Batman, no, this is what it's like to be poor. Right. Even um,
1: Signal, now he has a name, Uh, Duke... He can't. he's one of those kids who was, even more, he's one of those kids who's caught in the middle between Batman and, you know, his villains and all the bullshit they cause. You know, his parents have been jokerized and they're just fucked for mm-hmm. forever. They're just sitting in a corner in Wayne Manor laughing and screaming and occasionally trying to kill each other. Jesus. And, yeah, and that's part of why he's in the Batman. Well, he's a good fighter and a smart kid and what have you. But the other thing is, I'm here as we try to solve this problem, you know. And he's just a kid from he's just a kid from Gotham and he has that perspective, although, you know, depending on the writer's ability to use that, we'll see how that Batman and the Signal book explores that idea. But yeah. That's the thing. Of course, Dick Grayson is a circus kid, you know, he's also a part of that environment. Tim Drake not so much cuz he's, you know, from money, but Stephanie Brown is part of that. Uh, Cassandra Kane is and...
0: definitely part of the people who, who without Batman's infrastructure have to deal with the worst of the other infrastructure.
1: Yeah, but she, but she's also not, she's so disconnected from the real world cause she grew up in a closet being punched. Yeah. So that's a, it's a different sort of, di- it's a, it's another horrible dynamic, but it's a different sort of horrible dynamic.
0: Speaking of someone who grew up in a closet <laughs> being punched, Anyway, uh the the um damn the challenge of this kind of things is therefore if you're gonna bring this stuff up, you have to be able to say why you're okay with it. And some stories some stories don't and some stories do, and this is one of the many reasons why it's so easy to mishandle Batman. Uh, right. And it's also but, the
1: uh you know, are you good enough to write a story about something that you think is bad without idolizing you know, it's the Rorschach problem can you write the Punisher or Batman or Daredevil in a way that has some kind of, you know, moral objection to what they're doing with and still, you know, not attract that sort of audience? And you're going to get those guys regardless, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is often known in academic circles as Truffaut's Conundrum, hmm. which, was any, uh, which is any anti-war uh, narrative by necessity of depicting war is also a pro-war narrative
1: this is kind of like a, what they call a pose Law where yeah, kind of where it's indistinguishable from satire at, at a certain point but yeah and I think part of that is how they do things this is part of why a lot of superheroes stop at the murder line because that's what def- that's what defers you from a cop right yeah. you don't have a gun you shoot people and this is why Punisher is so often represented as a bad guy mm. why the Red Hood first appears as a bad guy while the Huntress is still the bad one in the Bat family, even when she's one of my favorite characters, she's still that one who will murder people. Yeah. And that's part of what puts her on the outside.
0: Now, because one of the things. They you don't can... kill people with impunity. One of the other things you can look to here is how much time the heroes have to spend on the boring stuff. Like. They don't do paperwork. They don't do arraignments or arrests. If they see court, it's usually only as a, a special incident. Uh, it, it, it very much has a different relationship to the things that cops have to do, which are hypothetically there to ensure that the cops don't have too much power. Like, the whole point of a court system is to make sure that if, if like, a cop brings someone in, that's they're not just hosed. There actually is, you know, a necessity to prove what the problems are and, and what happened
1: on paper anyway
0: yeah and then we get to the whole thing of like corrupt systems again
1: right and there's always almost universally you'll get this situation where you have like a legitimizing influence of a cop of some kind who's like no i'll make sure this arrest sticks superhero man you know yeah because i'm the good one and it's funny seeing weird dynamics because um i've read a lot of uh Kane Scarlet Spider recently and it's very interesting because the tagline is all of the power none of the responsibility Kane really doesn't want to be a superhero but, yeah. like he's is in fact a former serial killer but you know his mental his brain problems have been fixed and he's redeemed himself by saving all of New York recently so he just wants to run away to Mexico and gets caught up in Houston and their problems and there's a cop with his husband who's like a trauma doctor and they kind of become friends with Kane, and they're his authority. And they never really deal with the whole you know, we make sure arrest stick thing, because these are just like comedic side characters. And also because Kane will just kill a motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) And but it's interesting. One of the more like weird intersections of real life and like methodology in that story happened where the first one of the first things he does the second thing is He sees an old woman about to be hit by a truck. So, he's stupid. He just lands right on the truck. And then, she's like, oh, thank you. And he just starts yelling at her. Like, you crazy old bat. What the hell are you doing? Get out of the road. And she's like, thank you, young man. And he looks over to the side. And him landing on the truck has caused the driver to be jettisoned. And he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, okay, here come the torches. Here come the pitchforks. Nobody is paying attention. They're all collecting the person to take him to the hospital. And he doesn't get into this big weird argument with the cop. The cop's just like, "Hey, you saved that old lady. Good work. Something's wrong. <laughs> like there's something wrong in that position. It's that's it's not a it's not it's not a Gordon uh Batman relationship. It's not a Gene the Wolf Spider-Man relationship. It's just I'm a cop. I'm here to, you know, put that stamp of approval on these things you're doing for a serial killer. That...
0: Yeah. The 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 principal um the principle behind Gordon is that same thing Gordon is beyond the uh the corruption that can happen uh so uh we and we don't ever really get a why it's it's usually framed just as like he's too old or he's too principled and that that's usually good enough like if you don't ha- if you don't sit there continually examining it because y- you do eventually have to answer the questions that we've already raised um the the um this this corruption and legitimacy problem gets even more so though, when you start moving past the police as your as your primary motivating uh, uh, authority and start moving towards the military, you know, the the next level up, as it were.
1: Right, and there's not just military of an individual country. There's also a country. There's also the weird dynamics of like geopolitics that can get involved. Uh, numerous stories where oh, you can't do that because, for example, the original Outsiders were formed because Batman wanted to go save Lucius Fox in a country that was in the middle of, like, a civil war. And Superman said, "Mm, the government has told us we shouldn't do that. Mm. And, you know... if we
0: get involved, we're going to make everything worse for other people.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Batman being Batman said, hey, fuck you, I'll form the Outsiders and go do it anyway. And this is presented as, you know... A good thing because hey he saved lucius fox and he made a cool team and now we get to read their adventures but at the same time probably well, most definitely caused an international incident that we didn't go back and read about you know like for fuck's sake that's probably at least part of the reason i mean i'm probably messing up my timelines here but that's probably at least part of the reason why Terra was so fucking crazy because of all the shit that happened to markovia and how that probably ruined her life. Yeah. So you know, probably got some people killed there, Batman. And like that, you personally know if the war just doesn't click with you.
0: Yeah, and and this is this is one of the things about when you try and make your comics more realistic and try to make a greater continuity. You do inevitably mean like in in certain genres of story, something's just never come up. Something's just never have to come up. You don't need to know how characters poop, but. When you have a story that is explicitly designed to be big enough that it can enclose all these smaller subgenres of story, like Grayson, you wind up bringing this stuff to attention, and you kind of have to explain how this all works in this greater universe.
1: Oh, well, yeah. The thing about Grayson is it does bring up this weird sort of issue about how everything has to be tied to the military and to law enforcement, or what have you? Because, you know, one of the coolest things about him was that he struck out on his own path and did his own thing. And yeah. was fighting street-level crime in this city that was somehow even grittier than Gotham. In many ways, it was more like a Daredevil story than a Batman story. And yeah. so the involvement of the military made it much more awkward. And, of course, he wasn't Nightmare anymore. He was a spy. It was basically a Nick Fury story at that point. There's, okay, so there's a cartoon animated show if you didn't know what a cartoon is i don't know why i said that uh called ultimate (laughs) spider-man and there are a lot of reasons not to like that show a lot of reasons but one of the weirdest like intentional i don't know why they went this far with it but the idea was this is spider-man in high school again and he's doing his thing and he gets contacted by nick fury and nick fury's like you're gonna work for me he's like, meh. And he's like, well, we'll teach you how to be really good at what you do, and we'll give you a cool motorcycle. And so then he becomes an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then they give him a team. And this team is composed of oddly aged-down versions of uh, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and then a new rendition of White Tiger. So, A, you've made a Spider-Man show called Ultimate Spider-Man, a team show. And B, you've made Spider-Man a cop? (laughs) as a 15 year old boy and that show you know it was a fun wacky kid show it 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 was a really jokey like they would cut to like chibi spider-man and he'd pull out a little like this was the humor it wasn't like quips 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 it was stop you know sight gag like like a family guy version of spider-man yeah and yet at the same time we're kind of doing the thing of join the military kids you can
0: be a hero too which runs Mm. into this similar thing which is the, the Part of the problem with the superhero is the superhero doesn't actually fulfill the role of the cop. If you look at what Spider-Man does and break it up over the course of a day, he does stuff that you would normally turn to uh, private investigators for, because, like, it's most of the time doesn't mean anything. Uh, stuff that you would turn to uh, surveillance companies for. And also the fire department. Like, the police yeah, don't like, run around with fucking ladders.
1: Right, like, there's a, there's a breakdown there, because... You know, again, we said earlier, like, we always show the moment where the cops can't catch the bad guy, and then the superhero swoops in.
0: At least if you're good, you do that.
1: Yeah, and that's also part of it where the narrative of how, like, law enforcement and the military interact with problems, right? They'll be way more preemptive, right? They'll go out and hunt down, you know, as cops. They'll solve problems before they happen, or so they'll say. Or they'll allow problems to happen, you know. They'll do investigations, this, that, and the third More often than not, like more than 90% of the time, a superhero is always jumping into the middle of an event that's happening right now. They're stopping an attack happening right now. Whereas, you know, in addition to investigations and long-term things and, you know, homicide investigations, cops will also do things like stop graffiti, you know, issue parking tickets, do things like that.
0: Um, And that's probably way more... And in hypothetical societies, things like helping connect people to to stuff they need Uh, in places where the police are not massively overstrained by, you know, budget cuts and nonsense, you can wind up with with scenarios where the police are doing things like, uh, you know, guiding around Meals on Wheels stuff.
1: I mean, even just the fact that they're, as an arm of the government, they're frequently employed to manage people when there's large amounts of people in any particular place, you know? Yeah. Protests, events, stuff like... Spider-Man's not fucking... Overseeing a parade, yeah, ever you know,
0: and if he that's was, that, it would be a waste of your Superman, sorry, of your Spider Man.
1: Even just like the way the military interacts, they do a lot of similar things, you know, where they'll go to some other country and solve some other problem. and That's not a thing a superhero should or would do under most situations. Even though there's always that thing of, well, why doesn't Superman just go over to this world-torn country and beat up their dictator? And that would be awesome. But at the same time, like, a lot of times it's bad when the military does it. You know, uh, the
0: is bad. Thunderbolts touched on this once. Very, very briefly with Citizen V, who, I guess, spoilers for a 15-year-old comic at this point, but uh, Citizen V at one point topples the leader of a, of a foreign nation, who, who were uh, the new Citizen V, who's a good person, topples the leader of a foreign nation who was running like a Small Banana Republic-style situation, and then immediately gets stuck. Because she can't just go, Alright, I beat up your dictator, I'm out. Because suddenly the entire government is reliant on this one strong figure who solved everything.
1: Oh yeah. Um, There's that that great story. It's a graphic novel. And it's also an animated movie you can pitch up called um superman versus the elite or also called um what's so funny about truth justice in the american way where you have superman and he's the ideal you know he's the big strong guy he does the right thing he doesn't kill anybody he's a nice guy and then you have these very 90s crew of dudes who's like they kill the shit out of people they do whatever
0: they're the authority they you you could yeah. say they're the authority
1: yeah and they go and uh, Manchester Black just blows up this, you know, tin pot dictator's head and everybody cheers for him. Yeah, you did it. And it goes how you expect. But whatever. He's still they're still claiming to be heroes. Be awesome. And a lot of people and I hate this will remember that story more for that time that Superman goes. Oh, now I'm going to really let loose to like scare them by still being Superman. He doesn't murder anybody in the end. But it's a lot like the water cardboard situation. Yeah, and they won't remember uh, the entire rest of the narrative where he's grappling with them about. Yeah, it also emotions. has a uh,
0: it's one of those situations where they've introduced a power to Batman to Superman's uh, repertoire. And it's just kind of awkward that he doesn't ever have it again, because what he does is he, he does who um he does brain surgery on someone. By looking them in the eye and, like, laser-eyeing them through their eye into their brain to take away their powers, which obviously is very silly and does not work. And
1: also, like, super ethically dubious. Yeah. Uh, You know, they do that in the uh, animated series, the Justice League cartoon, where he, uh, well, first he, well, the alternate evil version of Superman, like, lobotomizes Doomsday the first time he shows up you
0: know yeah yeah
1: and they and then they're like i did it <laughs> and everybody's like yay superman <laughs> yeah of course doomsday comes back later because that's how doomsday works but and that's how yeah work. and yeah, yeah just and i think there's a place for you know superheroes who are an arm of the military like you know or superhero figures like captain america or an arms of the mil of Law enforcement, like uh, Jim Gordon and Super Heavy, or the Guardian, things like that. It's just it's the same as switching from magic to science. It's terrible when a character who wasn't that gets that like stapled to them, and it makes everything about that character's context uncomfortable.
0: I mean, you you have we we if you look back at um a lot of these nineteen sixties characters, the military was a very strong part of almost all of their uh, if not actual existence origin stories like iron man was made as a response to vietnam and the whole and don't don't go back and read the very first iron man story because it's super uncomfortable and really racist um but
1: i mean and everybody every golden age character character like has this or that story where they go and they fight in world war ii that's just everybody there's pictures of you know Batman storming the trenches with a machine gun
0: <laughs> yeah there is there is this fundamental uh, imposition on our culture by war and the police The most characters from the golden age had in some way some experience with the military or some relationship to the war including flat out being propaganda and you yeah. have characters especially characters who were very prominent during the 90s where trust at the police was very much at an all time low and fear of crime was at a very high rate. Uh, you had a lot of characters who were here be- who stepped up to become superheroes or were rebooted at that point because, well, the police are useless. Clearly we need unharmed... Uh, uh, clearly we need unappointed vigilantes running around in the streets kicking the shit out of people. But gangs are bad.
1: Oh, see, again, uh, well, you know, it's only bad if you're... Possessed of certain attributes, right? And mm. you know, array and malicious are you know at you know applications of First Amendment rights. But uh, them yeah. Huey Newton guys, mm, we need to create a new department to get rid of those dudes. And then maybe gun you know, gangs would show up. And oops, well, I guess we we'll have to get them too. And oops, yeah. now they're selling drugs. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's racism. a there's a racism
1: lot. is what I'm getting at, people.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of <laughs> racism going on there um and and worse it's the kind of racism that's really easy for the people in the privileged, to class of that racism to be able to say like there is a entirely coherent explicable excuse for all of that stuff that it makes satisfying sense to the people it benefits that doesn't say yeah. well, we're scared of them because they're black and that's right. part of the problem
1: I mean, they're in a gang you know yeah and the worst part about that is that is like a feedback loop because once you start doing that to the gangs, then the gangs become violent. And then, yeah, now everybody hates them. Now the kids in the hood are afraid of them because yeah. they sell drugs and they shoot people because that's where they are now. Yeah, It's not where they started, but that's where they are now. And that's where they're going to be forever now. And It's that weird thing. It's why I always say I love the blood syndicate where they say, you know what? How about fuck it? You blew us up on this island. This is ours now. We all have superpowers. What? This is, yeah. we do this.
0: Now, Here's Tech uh, 9
1: He shoots the shit out of people. He's the cop.
0: <laughs> now, connected to this, uh, we have the glorification of the military as a moral legitimizing force, which is a big, weird thing going on right now. In The best example I can give for this recently is in Men of Steel and Daredevil Season 2, the TV series and the movie. And right. these aren't the comics, but they are still very good examples of... Um, a sort of a presentation because when you when the comics are written a comic can, can have a lot of space for ideas to get handed around different authors take it on in different ways it's effectively a slower discussion than a movie whereas a movie has 90 minutes to make its point and anything in the movie that doesn't make that point is probably best cut which means that movies tend to be a really good kind of concentrated shot of a character's themes and morality and ideology
1: when they adapt the character properly
0: obviously oh yeah yeah sometimes they just heck it up and i think that they did heck it up in the case of man of Steel. but that's that's a, it's actually not important to how well they did with superman because right, right, in right. man of steel um every time someone points out that superman is probably good when everyone's responding to this gigantically powerful terrifying superhuman it's an arm of the military who is making that comment. Now, we the audience are primed to know that Superman's a good guy. That in this movie, Superman will be the hero and we're meant to cheer for Superman. It's named after him and everything. But in universe, that means that whenever a general is like, Oh, it's Superman. Or, Thank goodness it's Superman. Or I think we should trust Superman. That is effectively tying our existing moral bias towards Superman to the military. And it's almost universal in that movie that people who praise or accept Superman are military. And not everyone in the military likes him, but any time he is praised, it comes from a locus of military power. Which is to say, the storyteller was trying to use like the pre-existing moral authority of the military to tell us that, look, Superman is a good person. Which is all kinds of messed up.
1: It's this weird thing, right? Because, as we said before, it's inevitable that law enforcement and the military will have some degree of involvement in a, a super superhero event or person or just anything. And there's this other disgusting propaganda thing where, and this is the intersection where, like, budget and movies and stuff come, where military will let you use all their shit so long as you don't display them in, as negative in any light. Yeah. Right. So when you have big level things in movies and you would reasonably have tanks and SWAT helicopters and all kinds of shit that nobody can actually afford, you go to U.S. military and they're like, oh yeah, we'll let you have SWAT helicopters. Hell, we'll even send some Marines to stand around and be extras for free.
0: Yeah, which by the way, that's your tax dollars at work. Like you are paying for that.
1: Right, right. But you can't talk about any moral dubiousness about the government or the military and for smaller stories you don't necessarily have that as much there's lots of stories about corrupt cops and in superhero stories, and almost any superhero story that has cops you're gonna have corrupt cops you know why because it costs nothing to buy a fucking ford taurus and paint it bright and black and had an actor stand around in blues you know so you don't have to be beholden to that and that's one of those effects that the over prominence in movies has because we have lots of characters in superhero comics that deal with this as much as you know nick fury comes across as very heroic in the movies historically he's shown as being very dubious and very uncomfortable and everybody hates to deal with him because they know he's yep. trying to get one over on them and the same thing with amanda waller where she can be evil or the greatest person ever depending on whose story it is you know and it's, part of that is, she's, she doesn't deal with a lot of stories that cause her to bring tanks and shit, so, for all that we can say bad about Suicide Squad, they at least kinda got that right, in that, hey, United States government, they do bad shit! Here's one of them, just murdering a room full of people, for basically no reason, that yeah. shit happens. You yeah,
0: know? And, it, and it's really badly handled, too, especially, like, that, that moment... I'm going to go on a tangent here. That moment made me really mad. Mad, if only because, like we said, with justifying action, with someone going, "Oh, that's okay." You have three people in that room. One is Deadshot. One is Amanda Waller, and one of them is Rick Flag. Everyone else is just a prop who's there to get shot by Amanda Waller, like personally, with a fucking gun, as, as if that's Ooh. as if that's how that kind of stuff happens. And you have the uh, y- you have. Dead your know, flag is like, "Oh my god, what are you doing? This is this is disquieting to my moral senses." And then you have Will Smith um as Deadshot, a black guy going, "No, I like it. It's gangsta. It's Like just Jesus. And the weird Christ, thing is
1: really? one of the deals about like original Ostrander, Amanda Waller is that she wouldn't be the last person to do that sort of thing. Yeah, these people I employ are expendable, but I'd rather not pull the trigger if I don't have to. And she genuinely cared about all of her, like, non-supervillain, you know, staff. Those people had names, and some of them were actually members of her family. And she kept them around, and she cared about them. She went to fucking Apocalypse and shot at new gods with a space gun to make sure nobody died.
0: Yeah, And, and, and you could look at the... And this is, again, with the whole moral framework and moral impetus. In the best stories about Amanda Waller... Anytime anyone suffers, they bring it on themselves. This is, this is a really interesting thing about the whole dynamic of the Suicide Squad's moral framework. And they do follow through with it in stories. Characters in Suicide Squad are given a deal. Which is, you can escape your current punishment if you are willing to follow these rules. And these rules are honestly super permissive. These rules are, are very, very doable and all you have to do is basically treat it like a job.
1: Especially and... considering the people who, you know, these murderers and criminals and horror, like, cartoon villains.
0: Yeah. Like, just don't do evil. Just do what we want. Which means that <laughs> these characters almost always uh, suffer and die because of their own failings morally. They they make choices that are bad, and they are punished for them. Which, it's a really basic, rudimentary, moral framework Um but they put that in the framing of one of these military stories where, yeah, you'll get to see a soldier do some cool, bad stuff, but they will have their head blown off for it. And it won't be a matter of, like, someone saw them do it and was like, I punish you. It's a matter of, like, the, the system is in place to punish bad people who are doing bad things, which is such a small you know, thing. But it's, it is it is surprising how rarely you see that.
1: In, in the context of, like the military industrial complex and in movies when I'm thinking about it, you know, which movies showed say the military being evil and, you know, in the context of superheroes, it's an interesting thing about the Hulk, because we think about the Ang Lee Hulk movie, right? And yep. that movie had a lot of military hardware. And so that means the government was involved and the real villain of that story ultimately ended up being, uh, uh, Nick Nolte, uh, I yes. guess the absorbing man, or maybe the living laser. I'm not sure who what he was supposed to be, but he ended up being the Hulk's villain, right? Compare that, the Nick, that, Nolte. The Nick Nolte. Compare that to the uh, Edward Norton Hulk, which had maybe some APCs, which you can get from you know lots of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, the villain of that story was a soldier, Abomination, Mil Belansky. Got Jack full of Super Soldier Serum and became a villain. Thunderbolt Ross was just the bad guy. They didn't use a lot of tanks and helicopters that I remember. They kicked him out of one, and uh, the weird politics of that show up because the military is a villain in like two thirds of any Hulk story.
0: Yeah, well, this this is another of those interesting questions, which is in the context of Hulk stories, um, the military are almost one of the only forces that can be shown. Um, opposing the Hulk, who is... Often the framing of a Hulk story is, the Hulk will be okay if you can leave the Hulk alone, but because of what the Hulk is, there is a moral failing in leaving him alone. Yeah. Like, any society with common sense would want to hunt down the Hulk.
1: It's, It's... Again, that's part of what makes him like a science monster and almost almost like a horror movie character because it's that weird dichotomy. And of course you still have that moral dubiousness that you don't get in a Captain America. Well, you used to not get in a Captain America story. Although there's plenty of stories of him saying,
0: it really means that if you're going to write a story about the Hulk, you kind of have to accept that part of your story is going to be about um, him not being liked. It's like fundamental to the character. That that he is going to be unpopular because that's that's part of what you signed on for. There is a legitimate problem with the Hulk that really needs military level opposition.
1: Yeah, and I think the other half of that too is you're going to have to deal with. In some ways, it can deal with the power metaphor better than certain other stories because you have you know Thunderbolt Ross and he's an asshole and kind of a monster he's literally a monster now. He's Red Hulk. But but also, you know, so that's a bad guy and he represents authority. And then you have the Hulk and he's a literal monster but also a good guy. And when you look at those stories of Captain America coming to clash with the United States government, it's always because of his superior moral, you know, fiber. Even when he comes up against guys like Nuke, who's just like the living representation of everything that's wrong. With military culture, you know, he's just a walking, you know, roid rage gun monster, and you know, with the American flag on his face. But I don't feel like at any point did they ever challenge Cap. Like he's always like, "Oh, I'm serving evil, so I'll stop." And never point do they say, "I guess that's what you know Nick Spencer thinks he's doing, but not yeah. really." It's it's that weird place and. We'll never well, have yeah, that story and, and that, now, because that part has just been pissed in entirely.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once that, all this shit there clears is... up. So, yeah. so we we talked about the seven-year cycle, where a story kind of has to have a seven-year cooldown before you can do it again, and how that's mm. getting shorter. I still think that Nazi Cap is going to need a very, very long cooldown.
1: Yeah, just, just to be like, hey, Cap, maybe you being a soldier has some negative implications, you know separate from the Nazi shit. We're not going to be able to do that for a long-ass time. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, which sucks. The, yeah. the, um... The other, the, I guess I guess the final wrap-up here is that the characterization of the authorities is necessary for the superhero, because cause the superhero exists in spaces where those authorities can't reach one way or another. Like, Batman breaks into people's homes and does, like independent investigation god i just
1: think back to um the whole thing of um the long halloween where gordon batman and Harvey Dent literally and something no intelligent member of law enforcement or the government would ever do when they're about to commit horrible like violations of civil liberties they said okay you you're going to convict people. You, you're going to arrest people. You, you're going to break a whole ass load of laws. We good? All right. Hands in. Ready? Go. See the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, there was
1: no subtlety. There was no like, um, this, this, and yeah, you know what I mean? No. They literally just all agreed to be a conspiracy to like violate the constitution. <laughs> Heroes. It, yeah, it's, but... it's
0: awkward. Like, I, I, keep, I keep hemming around this going, oh, it's kind of awkward, because, like, I know full well that I have, I'm coming at this from two ma- major places of privilege. In that, one, I live in a country with some fairly reasonable laws about, uh, about police power, and also I'm white, so even our police abuses don't hit me. Um, so, obviously, I have a very different perspective on police, because, like, you know, I don't mind traffic cops. I don't mind the existence of traffic cops comics are an overwhelmingly american moral and narrative framework and you can't ignore the way that that intersects with everything this is why there are guns everywhere in comics this is why it's important as whether or not your character relates to or cares about the gun and this is also going to play into the way that authority in their in their greater setting impacts them and matters
1: yeah and it's interesting because i think one of the cool things superheroes can do is sort of exemplify how law enforcement and military like doesn't quite make the difference right like imagine if cops were also firemen right we have the good sense to say no disaster relief and things like that is a separate institution but you can be pulled over for speeding by a man with a gun and that's fucking weird you know yeah if you if you're drawing on a wall that's not yours a man with a gun will get involved
0: and, this, and uh, this also creates in the United States this exceptionally weird thing that's going on now where because the fire department's job isn't crime people are calling the fire department when people are having overdoses and dying and this means that the fire department is now picking up skills of first response uh, in to to those specific kinds of problems and that's odd i'm not saying i'm not saying it's bad but like there are all sorts of people whose reaction to the idea that the fire department uh, who you call if someone's having a drug overdose is, hang on, that's weird. Why not call these other people who you assume would be related, but then you find out that those people are dangerous and these people uh, are expensive. And like that, that's, that's the same thing of like the, the American world of, of comic books needs to take those things into account. And the nice thing about the superhero is the superhero is a person who solves problems. They aren't a system.
1: Right. Like the most heroic image of any given hero is not of them beating someone up. It's of them saving someone frequently from a disaster. That's one of the reasons why Superman is always held up as being like a paragon because 80% of what he does is literally just saving people from disasters. He beats up dudes all the time. Yeah. But even the way he does that is usually to stand in front of them And the person they're attacking, who just stands there, bullets bounce off. Mm -hmm. All right, now you're going to stop? Okay, good. I'm Superman. The fucking thing I'm going to do, beat you up?
0: (laughs) Oh, and by the way, uh, really good use of that with Luke Cage in recent TV stuff. Like, there's all sorts of problems going on with all sorts of stuff in those TV series. But the use of Luke Cage just interposing himself between uh, a person and a range of bullets, excellent. They use that so often and it's so cool every time.
1: Yeah, they. Uh, there's lots to be said about the choreography there, but just the just the good sense of no. Luke Cage tanks. He tanks super hard.
0: Yeah, and, and on he the on the note of the choreography, time. and this this might actually wind up being a bit of a tangent. Um, but I I get the impression the actor who plays Luke Cage just isn't a super mobile guy. Like, not exactly. not he's not athletic. He's clearly very athletic, but if they asked him to get from point A to point B, his his procession would be on foot he wouldn't be like throwing himself or leaping or arcing or rolling or if he does it would look weird like he doesn't he's not comfortable with that so i also think
1: there's this weird place where like again a lot of these guys needs to watch more anime just off top and play more video games because there's a lot of like i'm big and tough and indestructible moves you can do that he doesn't don't see a lot of like shoulder charges and like ground pounds and obviously they want to give ground pounds to Iron Fist and uh, Jessica to make them useful you know there's, there's ways to be indestructible at people Yeah, that they fail to utilize and yeah but and again he's a military experiment and the intersection of him with law enforcement was really on point but also like again because they're allowed to represent law enforcement as being shady and being overzealous, although they still kinda come down on their sides in a lot of ways. Yeah. They show that in a way that we don't get a lot of in television because of the weird dynamics. And that was one of the cool things so, about Suicide Squad, you
0: know? So with the with comics. With with Luke Cage, um, the T V series. There is a moment that really sticks out to me that's kinda of surprising because it like tells you a lot of what the the storytellers think of this scenario. There's a sequence, and I guess spoilers for Luke Cage, where Luke where, where a cop beats child. Like they can frame it however they want. People can re-describe that scene however they want. That that person's a kid, and a cop beats him, and he does it in a controlled environment, in a safe environment inside a um, inside a police station, and it's framed as well. First start, the cop's black, so they like they they're trying to remove that access of power there, which is not gonna work but they they frame this as the cop is under an enormous amount of stress and he's really sad and upset because someone he cares about is dead and and the fact that they put that scene in there was like you know well we need to ramp things up because we need to have like a a, you know more distrust more tension we need to show that the diamondback's plan is working but the way they chose to do that is by saying hey, we're gonna try and justify the beating of a child by a policeman, and that really shows that whole deferential attitude towards the authorities, in that there are people who probably look at that scene and go, yeah, I, I guess he shouldn't have done that. Yeah. That's... But I can understand why he did it.
1: That's where they... That's, again, what was cool about Suicide Squad, where people got their comeuppance. Yeah. And, and... There's not a lot of that, you know? Maybe somebody got fired for that. Okay, whatever. Did somebody whoop his ass? Because that's what he has coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> At least. Yeah, look, you're you're a grown-ass man. You don't beat children. Like, that's not actually a particularly complicated moral framework for our world.
1: Yeah, but, you know, we gotta, again, that's our culture. And so, everything is, oh, well, that's a complicated problem. Some of these aren't complicated problems. You're just deciding that they are. And...
0: Mm. Now, in the context of Suicide Squad, the, the, uh, the movie, like, the, the movie is, a, like, I, I have anger about the movie. I'm, I'm very mad about the movie. But when I talk about, like, framing and schema and, like, how it positions it, the real thing about Suicide Squad, the movie, like, the whole reason that movie exists is because they said, under what excuse can we have these terrible people presented as being acceptable? And the moral framework they could find is, well, if they work for the military, it's okay.
1: And and... that
0: breaks down the second you look at the people in question, because it's not a matter of like, okay, we're going to let Doomsday out of the box to save us from a threat of the level of Doomsday. Uh, Instead, it's we created a problem that is absolutely terrible, and no one else is going to solve it for some reason, despite the fact we've established Superman exists in this world. And we're Uh, just... He's
1: probably dead at the time.
0: Yeah, probably. But we're going to present these terrible, awful, incompetent screw-ups as acceptable responses to that. And that's part of the problem with a lot of this militarism and, and use of the authorities... In that it almost always comes down to, it's okay, we needed to do this, it's an acceptable, um, bad thing. Like, we, we, yeah. we should be okay with this.
1: That was one of the things that was intriguing about the original comics is, A, they never said, hey, these, there were good guys on the Suicide Squad, and then there were all the bad guys, and they never stopped being bad. Yeah. You know? They, there was no redeeming moments for Captain Boomerang, we just laughed at his suffering. You know, Deadshot stayed crazy. You know, the good ones were Bronze Tiger, Rick Flag, and Nightshade, the re- and Nemesis. The rest of them? Nah. And we blow them up every once in a while. And that's how that works.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and, it wasn't... And they did do stuff with that moral framework. They did actually uh, have characters who were redeemed, and they had a couple of characters who, who started on a path of redemption and then realized that it was hard, and they gave up, and were total jerks about it.
1: Yeah, it, the way I hear it, there was reshoots that happened and that, cuts that really jacked that movie up because the first trailer was just kind of dark and gloomy. And, you know, people have been criticizing the DC tele- movie universe for that. So then the next trailer comes out, it's all poppy and exciting and people really click to that sort of like, oh no, we have to make the movie like that trailer. So from what I get, David Ayer wanted to, probably wanted to make something more in line because that storyline is very 80s Suicide Squad. It's not New 52 Suicide Squad, despite them having a New 52 team. So that gives me the impression that they wanted to do something that's just like, oh, these are miserable people, and they'll always be this way, and they're doing horrible things. And, you know, and that's probably where lines like, oh, that's gangster come from. Yeah. And things like that. Because... People loved that trailer because it didn't remind them of Batman v Superman. It reminded them of Guardians of the Galaxy. And so like, oh, okay, I can get behind that. I like Star-Lord, you know, Dance Off, I Am Groot, all that stuff. Oh, and like
0: you can can go to a whole range of things that compare between Guardians of the Galaxy and that, even down to the soundtrack. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy used a whole bunch of 1970s hits along with original orchestral compositions to construct its musical soundscape and they tried to make them work together, whereas the Suicide Squad movie mostly is pop songs. And, and yeah. like, the first-choice pop songs for most of the sequences, which I think is, again, an interesting example of The Authority, because <laughs> those pop songs are unchallenging choices. They are all very yeah. much part of the system, you know? Um I this, this okay. So very. This this is going to be the last time I I, I try and I'm going to try and limit myself to just this last bit of rage here. But yeah. Captain Boomerang gets introduced. <laughs> Everyone when they get introduced, they get introduced with a sting from a song. Right? What do they introduce Captain Boomerang with? Oh God, if I you haven't remember. seen it, can you guess? Yeah. Okay. Land down under. No dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Ah yes. You know because because he's, he's Australian. <laughs> and he does Dirty Deeds.
1: <sighs> I don't know, man. Because people really love the Iron Man coming out to the completely unrelated Iron Man song.
0: <laughs> that that one at least works, because he said, I am Iron Man, and then it's Smash Cards 2, I am Iron Man, the opening lines of a song. And, in-universe, that's a song that Tony Stark likes. They show Tony Stark... Also playing with muscle cars and listening to 70s and 80s heavy metal it works for me like don't get me wrong yeah. i still love the fact that oh look billionaire private school boy happens to like the pop culture of poor people y- yeah you're really you're really a uh, working class there man nicely job but in mm-hmm. the case of dirty dudes done dirt cheap dirty dudes done dirt cheap is not the kind of thing that you do that you sing along to if you're robbing diamond vaults that's that's not a dirty deed done dirt cheap. That's a high value heist. That's some Ocean's Eleven bullshit.
1: You should at least shave and wear a nice shirt when you do that.
0: Yeah, and and then you get to the whole thing of like he doesn't do anything dirt cheap. And you know, I'm I'm so mad about that movie. I yeah i I've got I've got to stop. <laughs> but the point is that that choice of song. If they had chosen any other better song for that character it would risk being missed and that's the whole reason we use the military and the police in this way in stories because they are the most obvious symbols for someone should do something and when they fail that's the way we can signal to the reader uh but they can't
1: right and it's it's just it's so weird to feel like you're like trapped in this situation because of the nature of everything you know again comics can just go buck fucking wild because it costs It doesn't cost more to draw a tank. Well, it might. I'm talking out my ass. But it doesn't cost more to draw a tank than it does to draw a car. So you can do whatever. And you can play with those games. But even still, because of the decades of this type of narrative, people do it without even thinking it. They'll write these stories that are deferential like this and think they're being challenging. You know? I, I do think that they felt in the Nolan movies that they were being challenging when when they have Lucius Fox ask the questions about surveillance you know but he did the thing and he succeeded so you're saying we should do the thing
0: yeah you know like I I have I have this opinion about um some of this stuff uh and in fact Daredevil season two is a great example of it which is it it's a story that knows what it has to put in it. It knows what it needs in there for other reasons, but it doesn't know what it's about. Mm. It doesn't know it's what about... it's, like the story's principle. It doesn't have any ideas.
1: It's about setting up the defenders. That's the <laughs> yeah. But and... there is that whole military conspiracy aspect in season two. That hits on some good points, and again, they didn't use need to use any tanks or have any real soldiers, so they people be like, "Hey, yeah, the military just ruined this guy's life for pretty much no reason, mm-hmm. and it's terrible. It's just awful, and now he's a supervillain."
0: Same with same with the police. There you
1: go. Yeah, you know, and I think no. we talk about Luke Cage trying, you know, to defer to the police. That's, uh, this is me, but I think at some point somebody came to Cheo, Hadari Cho Hoker, the guy who wrote it, and it's like. All right, you're being too black. You, you gotta break that. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, nobody came to... I think... I think that's what happened. Because when you... When you have Method Man, there's, you know, I don't think it's trying to, you know, be the most revolutionary black thing ever. But I think that was to not scare people. You know? Yeah. Because, like... But I'm trying to think don't about... don't have to do that.
0: Do you, do you, you have know? a black-ass superhero? Can you think of anyone? Black Panther? Black Lightning? Yeah. Damn, it's, it's in the name. <laughs> yeah. Now,
1: he's all the in... other black verb guys, like Black Goliath and, uh, okay, more. Uh, someone... Tyrock.
0: <laughs> okay. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah but Rock. some someone who's in Marvel. Nah. Black them. Um,
1: uh, Blueton.
0: Yeah, you see, it's not so easy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, um, daredevil didn't have to deal with that so when they just show fucking god what's his name that actor who who was in conan who was the who was the soldier they show him just being an evil military guy we just say fuck it we're gonna kill him with a hammer you know none of that <laughs> no oh well, he was never nah nah punisher's just gonna go beat that motherfucker to death with a hammer in a shed and woo. <laughs> I mean, we are supposed to be very scared because the Punisher is scary, but also yeah, fuck that guy. No remorse. They didn't justify it. I mean, and he did it in his house. Like, where his family lives. And they're just like, yep, oh, nope, yep, Nick's dead. Welcome."
0: <laughs> and also, uh, Clancy Brown is in the Punisher as well. Clancy
1: Brown. Yeah. Yes, that's who it was.
0: Cla- Clancy Brown is fucking great. I, I, I love that I love that Clancy Brown now gets to be like this thread throughout fandom's history. Like he's in he's in D, he's in DC movies, and now he's going to be in Marvel U movies, and he's in Daredevil. Yeah, I, I really like Clancy Brown.
1: Yeah, and he's uh, he was in Flash. He was um, God, uh, uh, General Eiling. Yeah, you know who eventually gets turned into the Shaggy Man. He got possessed by Garad one time, so that was great. We got to hear him use a gorilla voice.
0: Yeah, and and of course, related to all that, you have the just. The fact that this guy with this enormous imposing voice, and he's huge, like Clancy Brown is a yeah. big guy, um, and his name is Clancy.
1: Yeah. It's amusing to me that he can go from that to playing like the really like, svelte version of uh, Lex Luthor in Justice League, and it works yeah. so well, because he sounds like a guy who would act like that. So you're like, yeah, I hate this guy immediately. Anytime he sounds happy about something, I'm angry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great, folks. Uh, uh, That's been Hawkeye.
0: <laughs> and that's been Hawkeye. Fuck. Tune in next time. <laughs> Backfire! <laughs> when we talk about Blade.
1: He once dressed as Hawkeye.
0: Does does Blade actually have anything to do with the cops beyond not trusting them? Because he's, he's a black oh, guy yeah. who goes out at um, night with a sword. For, like, I can't imagine a that's a good th- look.
1: Oh my god, for a while there, because Marvel doesn't know what to do with him, they tried to, like... <laughs> Position him in this place where he's always showing up in like intersections of shield and supernatural shit, but it's dumb and lame. So like he 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 folded to the uh, superhero registration act easily because I guess he's never been surrounded by people with guns before. So when <laughs> Morbius is just like, hey, it's me. You're gonna kill me, Blade? Yeah, I'm gonna kill you. Fuck you, Morbius. And it's like, ah, shield guys.
0: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> who cares? <laughs> I do this shit every day! Yeah. But whatever. He's registered.